Brother Skin, <laughs> Kenneth, I was trying to say Kenneth and Scadlock all in the same word. That don't come out good. Brother Kenneth was uh, uh, helped helped me greatly for the last five years. I was out at the facility, and he's still there filling my shoes and uh, doing a fantastic job. And uh, I look forward to being out there preaching at the prison tomorrow afternoon. So be praying for us there. If you have your Bibles. We're going to be looking at a couple of different texts this morning. And uh, first I want to read some verses out of Romans chapter 7. But primarily we're going to be in Psalm 38. Psalms 38. And uh, what I want to talk to you about for the remainder of our time this morning, and I realize I don't have a lot, so I'm going to probably rob you a little bit. Of, uh, of your time this morning, but if you'll come back tonight, yeah, you, you probably won't get it back, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I will promise you this, I will try to reimburse you whatever time I rob you of this morning, if you come back tonight, I'll try, try to reimburse you. But uh, what I want to talk to you about is the outward symptoms of an inward problem. The outward symptoms of an inward problem. And of course we understand that the inward problem is sin. And in Romans chapter 7 and beginning in verse 14, it says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. And you know the difference between the spiritual and the carnal. Spiritual has to do with heavenly, with godly, with holiness, with righteousness. But carnal has to do with the flesh, with worldly, with sinfulness in this life. And what Paul in the book of Romans is saying is that when he used to be uh, a Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, he was a religious man, but there are a lot of religious people that are lost. Paul was one of them. He is, of course, an Old Testament uh, character. Uh, Everything before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and actually the amputation of Judaism and the uh, ingrowing of the Gentile nations into the religion of Christianity, that all would be classified as Old Testament theology. But Paul, as a Pharisee, he believed in God, but he was lost. And he's saying that, for we know that the law, the Old Testament law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I don't make allowance for, or I allow not. And for the things that I want to do, or that I should do, I do not. I don't wind up doing those things that I know that I should. But what I hate, and I hate sin, but I do it. Verse 16 says, If then I do that which I would not, then I consent unto the law that it is good. Why is it good? Because it magnifies my transgression. It magnifies my sin. It shows me who I really am. Then in verse 17 it says, Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, my old nature dwelleth no good thing, for the will is to present with me, is present with me. That will is to, I have a will, I have a desire to do good, to be pleasing to God. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. 
For the good that I would do, I do not, but the evil which I would not do, that I do. Now if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. It is that old sin nature. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. The law of sin. The law of sin. I I remember a law that the Bible talks about, the law of the harvest. That that is, you get what you, you reap what you plant. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If he reaps unto the flesh, he will reap bitterness and wrath and death. But if he plants unto the Spirit, then he will reap everlasting life. And this is saying basically the same thing in verse uh, 23. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity. Into captivity to the law of sin. Do you realize that every lost person is bound by the law of sin? We are bound by sin until through regeneration that sinfulness is broken. And we can have faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receive Him as Lord and Savior. But do you understand that even though we are saved, we are still sinners? The Bible says all saints are sinners, but it also says not all sinners are saints. All saints are sinners, but not all sinners are saints. And it's only by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the submission of our our souls, our lives, everything that we are to everything that He is, that He comes to take up residence on the inside of us, that old things pass away, all things become new. I become a new creation in Christ Jesus and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. That's what this baptism is talking about. Paul said, I die daily. And the baptism is just a picture of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it's also a picture of my death, burial, and resurrection. That I die to self. I die to sin. I die to the world. I die to the flesh. And now I'm raised up in newness of life to be faithful to God and live a life that brings glory and honor to Him. And that is the picture that Benji and I just drew in the baptismal waters. But when you turn back over to Psalm 38, boy, we find out that even though we are saints, we are still sinners, and that there's a consequence, not a wage. We don't pay the wage of sin because Jesus Christ died for our sins. We're not even punished for our sins in this life if we are saved, if we are the children of God. But there is a chastening hand in the lives of God's children. It's chastisement. Chastisement is not punishment. Chastisement is what we do to our children to bring them back into line with the rules that we as their parents have set. And what we want to do is lovingly chastise that they might understand that this is not punishment i'm not punishing you for what you've done but there is a consequence for when you step outside of the provisions that have been made for you god does the same thing for us in our lives as his children it feels an awful lot like punishment but i do understand the difference between what god is doing 
sometimes what my father did when I was young. Sometimes I think he got a little pleasure out of that. <laughs> you could almost see it in the corner of his mouth when he was grinning a little bit. But God never does that. God always chastens us that he might draw us to himself. This Psalm 38 is a Psalm of remembrance. And it reminds us, it reminds me uh, of a boiling pot of stew that is cooking on the stove. But it has some pretty nasty ingredients in the pot. This is the language here in this psalm of one who remembers. And boy, do I remember the horrors of the pit that God saved me out of. I was wretched. I don't know about well, yeah, I know. We're all wretched. For all of sin come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And just when we're lost in sin and God reaches in our heart, illuminates, redraws us, regenerates and draws us to Himself and sets our feet on a rock, then that was an act of love and grace and mercy on God for a lost person to save Him and bring Him into the family. Well, we who are already saved, we're still not, you know, immune to, to sin in our lives. God does the same thing. Do you know rededication, recommitment to the Lord can almost be as important as salvation itself? Because what it does is it's a brand new start, a brand new beginning. We confess, we repent, we turn away from sin, and we start afresh with a clean slate from God. Even though we're already saved, we still have sin in our life that needs to be taken care of. We see here how easy it is for us to fall away from the grace, the love, the mercy, the kindness of God and to slip into temptation and to fall away from the Lord. And this, this psalm pretty much fitly describes how that looks in our lives. If you'll join with me, we're going to look at... Uh, that law of sin. Oh, by the way, James chapter 1 and verse 15 says this. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. May I say that sin is a killer. You say, well, I'm saved. I can't suffer the second death. I can't suffer separation from God for an eternity because my sins are already paid for. And yet, sin in a Christian's life is still murderous. It can kill a lot of things in our lives kills everything that it comes into contact with. It can kill our health. It can kill our wealth. It can destroy our relationships. It can destroy our homes and our families. It can destroy our confidence. It can destroy even the confidence and the faith that we thought we once had. And ultimately, if you really are lost and not saved, it'll destroy your soul. It'll separate you from God for an eternity. And here we see the outward symptoms in the regenerate sinner. I want you to notice, first of all, that sin brings fear and conviction in our lives. You look at verse 1 and 2 and it says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, in thine hand presseth sore upon me. Now how do I know that we're talking about a regenerate sinner? Because lost sinners are dead. They have no conviction. They have no sorrow. 
over what they have done until God regenerates, wakes them up from their spiritual death and shows them who they are in the light of who He is. And that regeneration, that illumination brings us to a point of conviction and sorrow and and even feeling wounded. Notice what it says there where it says, Thine arrows stick fast within me. And thy hand presseth sore. That is the conviction. And that is the wounds. Verse 1 tells about the fear. It says, Lord, rebuke me not in thy hot wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. So when we are regenerate, when we are wakened up from our slumber, from our death in sin, that regeneration brings with it a conviction and a knowledge, a realization of who we are in the sight of God, and then that God's wrath is going to come upon us in the form of chastisement. The arrows and the conviction of our heart The Bible says that the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing asunder both soul and spirit, and is a discerner between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Now that word where it says the Word of God is a discerner, that means it reads you as you read it. Did you know that? The Word of God is quick and powerful. Quick means alive. It's a living, the living Word of God. And if I'm a student of the Word of God, then as I study the Word of God, the Word of God is studying, dissecting me and finding out the difference between what's really in my heart. Do I love Him? Do I not? And what's in my mind? I say I do, but I don't live like it. And it's just a discerner between the thoughts of the mind and the intents of the heart. And when it's the intents of the heart that is brought to the forefront of the mind, we understand what conviction really is. It breaks us. It's like God reaches out and grabs your heart and squeezes it like a handful of grapes and squeezes the juice out of it. And you can't wait as Peter dove off the boat and swam to the bank. You can't wait to get to the bank to kneel and bend the knee to the, to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ seeking that forgiveness. So we understand in verse 1 and 2 that sin in the regenerate person's life brings fear and conviction. But you look at verse 3 and it says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Now the soundness of flesh, you have two different words in the Bible that speak of the flesh. One of them is speaking about the physical body. And if we're talking about the physical body, then there is no soundness in my physical body. That means ailments, illnesses, diseases are attacking me from without. And that because of our sin. Do you know that God uses illnesses in saved people's lives as a chastisement to make them think about what it is that they have done, that they might be brought to repentance. It's never as a punishment, just to punish you and let you go, but no, that is always a chastisement to make you realize where it is that you're at. Adam, Adam, where art thou? It's not that God didn't know where He was, it's that Adam didn't know what He had done. And he wanted a confession out of Adam. I have have eaten of the tree of good and evil, the tree that you told me. Not to eat of. And of course that brought repentance to his life. So we understand that there is disorder or no soundness in our flesh. But the second flesh is not the physical flesh, but the spiritual, the old nature. 
You do realize that if there is no soundness in my flesh, the old nature, that means I have slid from the new nature, living in Christ, backslidden into living in the old nature, the old sin nature. And there's no soundness. There's no health. There's no wealth there for a Christian. It will always bring you to your knees. It will always cause you to have heart problems. That's a most humbling revelation in our lives that I don't have a physical body problem on the outside. I look healthy. I feel healthy. I'm doing good. But I have a heart problem on the inside that is leading me astray and separating me from Christ and from the love of God. We have not that we've lost our love from Christ, but we've lost our love for Christ, and we've backslidden and become in a state of unsoundness. The heart has been found out to be deceitful and wicked. The Bible says, who can know it? And sometimes we even deceive our own selves into thinking, oh, I'm better than you know I used to be, so therefore I'm good, right? No, good is good, and evil is evil. Righteousness is righteous, and sin is sinful. And unless we confess and repent of that, then we will wind up paying a price for it. But you look again, not only at the disorder, the unsoundness of flesh, whether physical or spiritual, that it brings in our life, but the unrest in verse 3. It says, there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Mm. My unsoundness has drawn the wrath of God into my life. And whether it's physical or whether it's spiritual, now I am living an unhealthy lifestyle. And then it says this, Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. Boy, David is crying out to the Lord, I believe, with all of my heart. David wrote this psalm after committing adultery with Bathsheba, murdering Uriah the Hittite. Boy, had he gone astray. He had really fallen off. The wagon when it comes to sin. And now he's saying that even his bones. Have you ever been bone tired? I mean just wore out. I've seen that in the faces of people. You can tell that they've had a hard day. And you can look at them and they're just haggard. They're, they're just weathered. They're worn. They're, they're dragging. They're just trying their best to put one foot in front of another. And some people tell me that, you know, I've just not been sleeping well lately. Well, sometimes that is a physical problem that, that, uh, that you might can go to the doctor and find some help for. But it also might be a spiritual problem. It's kind of like that flesh thing. Some of it's physical. Some of it's spiritual. But when we find ourselves trying our best to sleep and to rest, then we toss and we turn. We wake up in the middle of the night, on and off, all night, and the Lord is there bringing burden and pressure and weight to our heart. The strongest features in His character were shaken to the bone, troubled in sin. The whole fabric of his moral nature. You see, when we become Christians, when we bend the knee and bow the head, we surrender the fleshly sinful nature and we receive that godly, holy, righteous nature. And now that nature has been disturbed. The real conviction of sin. It's like an earthquake to our souls. We find no rest. 
Not in this life. Not in this world. You look at verse 4. And it goes on to say this. For mine iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. You see, we think that we can get away with sin when the axe doesn't fall immediately in our lives. God doesn't cut our heads off. I have sometimes said in some of my sermons, I'm amazed that God didn't kill me last night in my sleep for the sin that I committed yesterday. And He has the right to do that. I give Him that right by me sinning against His holiness and His righteousness. But I am so thankful for the grace, the goodness, the love, the mercy of God in my life. My friend, I want you to realize that sin is oppressive. It is an oppression. My iniquities, the Bible says, are as a heavy burden to me. They're too heavy for me. I lay them down, you know, when my eyes fall asleep, but they are so heavy still in my slumber that I wake up under the pressure, under the burden, under the weight of them. And I think of those things in the middle of the night and I wonder what is wrong, Lord? Why can't I get rid of this feeling in my life? Well, I'm toting a burden that I wasn't built to carry. Christ carried those things to the cross for me. And yet if I don't live in holiness and righteousness, if I don't confess and repent and turn away from them, I wind up going back to the foot of the cross and picking up the burden that He bore so many years for me and I become oppressed. My sins are too heavy for me. But thank God they're not too heavy for Him. Amen? If I would just lay Him at His feet. You look at verse 5. It says this, my wounds stink. Ugh. Have you ever had a wound that became so infective? I had one in my hand one time. You could literally, oh, it just, you could smell the rot, the flesh rotting. David is saying, boy, my, my wounds are so corrupt in my heart, in my mind, in my life that I can actually smell. I stink. In the nostrils of God. My wounds stink. And are corrupt. Because of my foolishness. It's not because of a physical wound. Like I had in my hand. That I let go a little too long. Before I had to go get antibiotics. To get rid of it. I'm telling you. That there is a wound of the heart. That can absolutely repulse. Not only your own nostrils. But I'll guarantee you. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. And until we make those things right, our hearts and our lives will never be right with Him. Skip a couple of verses and look down to verse 8. And it says, I am feeble. I am sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquiet of my heart. Now verse 8 is just talking about helplessness. What can wash away my sins? I believe I put that on... Facebook in my coffee with Christ yesterday, day before yesterday. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. What can heal the wound of my heart? What can restore the satisfaction of my soul? What can bring me back into fellowship with Christ? What can take away the stench, the corruption of my sin? 
There's no exaggerated, I'm telling you, this is not an exaggeration of speech. I believe that David had become diseased in his physical body and that literally he was battling a wound that, or a disease or an illness. There was a stench to his nostrils as well as to the nostrils of God. There is no balm. You know, the Bible says that we can take the balm of Gilead and, and anoint the wounds of our souls. But until there's confession and repentance, there is no balm to take away the heartache and the sorrow and the stench of our lives lived not so swimmingly or well for the Lord. When we live a life of sin, it's only the only thing that fixes that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way that you get that is through confession and repentance. You look again at the helplessness. I am feeble and I am sore broken. His whole nature was completely humbled before the Lord. In verse 10, it says this, My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it's also gone from me. I can't even see the right direction. I can't see the way. So some people have fallen so far in sin and gone so far away from the Lord that they can't find their way back to the Lord. There is a price to pay for sin. All of the light of hope he had before in Christ, in church, in the Bible, in holiness, in righteousness, all of that hope had evaporated out of his life and now he is absolutely in darkness and he can't see the way out you know i read to you out of romans chapter 7 verse 14 through 23 a while ago let me finish that for you it's just two verses chapter 7 and verse 24 and 25 the chapter ends like this oh wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from this body of death now remember, we're talking about David in the Old Testament, a man after God's own heart that is living in sin and is, has now become wretched in the eyes of God. And now we're talking about Paul the Apostle who has now converted from Judaism and has surrendered his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he's re reminiscing on how he came out of that religiosity into a true religion of faith. In the finished work of Christ. He's saying who's going to deliver me from this body of death? O wretched man that I am. In verse 25 he answers that question. He says I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. You see he even realizes that now that he's converted. His heart still pants after. His heart desires to be faithful to God, but there's still a no nature living on the inside of him that draws him away from God. But the only hope that he has is found in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The way of escape. You look at verse 18 of Psalm 38 and it will give you the answer to the dilemma. How do I escape this body of death? Verse 18 says this, For I will declare mine iniquity I will be sorry for my sin. 
You know, there's a lot of people who just aren't. They just aren't sorry for their sin. Oh, well, I, I confess that was wrong and I shouldn't have done it, but you're not sorry for it. There is no burden. There is no weight. There is no guilt. There is no conviction. And what the Bible is saying here is, is, is declare all you want to. Tell God what you did. But if there is no guilt, if there is no confession, if there is no repentance, if there is no sorrow over sin, there is no forgiveness. Well, Lord, I'm sorry, but I'm going to get up and do it again tomorrow. What if I told my wife that? Well, baby, I went out last night and, you know, me and the boys got had a few drinks and shot a few games of pool and there were some old girls hanging out there and, and I'm sorry I didn't come home last night, but I'm sorry and I won't do it again. I don't think she's going to accept that, especially if I turn right around and go back to the hog trough. If I go back to the same old life that I've always lived, God shouldn't either. And He won't. You look at what it goes on to say in that verse. It says, For I will declare mine iniquity, but declare all you want. If you're not sorrow, I will be sorry for my sin. There is confession, but there's also contrition. Psalm 51 is a psalm of David that he did write after his interlude with Bathsheba, adultery with another man's wife. His sin of even murdering that woman's wife and taking him to herself and having a child out of wedlock. Psalm 51.17 says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, Thou wilt not despise. You see, a set of lips will say anything. We can tell God how sorry we are for what we did. But until we start living a new life, He's not buying it. We have got to repent and turn away from sin and start being faithful to God and His Word and His commandments. You see confession. You see contrition. But back up to verse 15. We skipped that verse earlier. And you see faith. Look at verse 15. It says, For in Thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear. O Lord my God, I have hope that if I confess and show repentance, then You'll hear me. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, I'm going to confess and I'm going to believe that God will hear and forgive my sin, but without repentance, He will not. But with true faith, there will be found true Repentance. Faith brings a change of heart. Faith brings a change of direction. Faith brings a change of destiny. Let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You for Your love, for Your mercy. We thank You for this opportunity, God, to live the life that You've called us to live, that You've commanded us to live. It's not a request. It's not optional. God, this book is a book of doctrines. It's a book of, of uh, laws, commandments, expectations that You give to us. I know that some people say they don't like, they don't like doctrines. God's doctrines are just teachings. Your teachings. Lord, if we love You, we will love Your Word. 
And we'll hide it in our heart that we might not sin against you. Lord, we thank you for that unction of the Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.